we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, now is touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as yet he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I want you to notice a phrase that we read in verse number 9. He said, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. I'd like to speak to you on this subject this evening, this liberty of yours, this liberty of yours. I want us to pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us, the opportunity that we have again to come together in your word. And we pray that as we approach the word of God, that you would give us ears to hear I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide me and use me, help me to communicate faithfully uh, what you have said in your word. Give us understanding. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There is a question at hand. In fact, as we've noted as we've studied through 1 Corinthians that Paul is addressing certain questions that were asked of him from the Corinthian believers. In fact, in chapter number seven, uh, we took this title, Questions Concerning Marriage, or Questions About Marriage, and there were several questions that the church of Corinth had written to the Apostle Paul and proposed or presented these questions to the Apostle Paul, and he answers them in chapter number seven. Continuing in that theme, uh, they have written to him to ask him concerning uh, things offered unto idols. He says in verse number one, now is touching things offered unto idols. 
And then, as, as we note, that he, he speaks of things that are being eaten. Uh, notice, if you would, in verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So the entire question at hand here is, how should believers respond to this offer uh, or this opportunity that was presented to them in Corinth to eat meat that was offered unto idols? Now, how is that relevant to us in 2020? Uh, There are not pagan temples dotting the landscape of Hickory, although you will find a few. Uh, none of us, uh, I don't imagine in this last week have been invited to one of those temples to partake in a meal, uh, where we would dine on meat that had been offered, uh, to a pagan God. But we all deal with things that are questionable, gray areas in our Christian life, decisions and temptations that we're faced with. And we ask ourselves this question, would it be a sin for me to do this? Would it be a good idea for me as a believer to participate in this activity? Those are the gray areas of our lives. Uh, there maybe are not specifically addressed uh, in the Scripture, but there are principles that we can draw from the Scripture uh, that will guide us in our decisions. Now, much is made today of liberty, uh, that we are not a group of people who are bound by the restrictions of the law. In fact, the church at Corinth comprised of Jewish Christians, those who were Jews who subscribed to the teaching of the law and who were under the keeping of the law. That was their religious system. Then they came to faith in Christ, and they had to wrestle with leaving behind the components of the legalistic rules of Judaism and their liberty in Christ. Uh, Many of them sought to bring the Gentile believers in Corinth under the obligations of the law, saying that if you're a true believer in the Lord, you obviously need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but if you're really going to follow the Lord, you need to keep these Uh, traditions and feasts and laws of Judaism. Uh, In addition to that group, there were the Gentiles, and the Gentiles would have rejected flatly, uh, many of them, uh, the compelling uh, pressure of the Jews to to bring them underneath the law. Uh, They were a group of people who recognized that they had liberty in Christ. But this liberty of ours, this liberty that the Lord has given to us, that has freed us from the shackles of legalism, this liberty is not to be abused. It is not a license to lasciviousness. And we live in an age where many espouse the doctrine that if you're a Christian, you're saved by grace, and we believe that, do we not? And because of that grace then, and the fact that uh, we live under that grace, then there are those who teach that basically you can live any way you want, do anything you wish to do, and any questionable matter that is not clearly or specifically addressed in Scripture, feel free to go ahead and do that. 
There's a whole industry today of uh, Christian thinking that uh, espouses that kind of a philosophy and tells believers it is perfectly fine for them to participate in activities that are questionable. Now, my purpose this evening is not to tell you what those questionable activities are and to give you straight down the line answers. My purpose here is to tell you what God has said to us in his word about those questionable activities. Here the question has come in the form of things offered unto idols, and for us to really understand that, we sort of have to transport ourselves back into Corinth in the first century and understand that the Corinthians were living in a, in a city that was given to idolatry. The Romans and the Greeks believed in pagan gods. The Greeks, of course, had a multiplicity of those gods, polytheistic. There were temples all over the place. We've already talked about the temple in, in Corinth. It was, a, uh, it was a, upon a hill, and, and uh, the travelers who came to Corinth would go to this pagan temple to worship this, uh, this goddess who was basically a goddess of sexual perversion, and, and there they would participate in all forms of immorality. And these superstitious Corinthians would go to the temple and they would bring a meat offering, just like the Old Testament Jews would go to the temple and they would bring an offering of a lamb or perhaps of a bull or uh, as God made uh, requirements for them depending upon their income levels and, and the different type of sacrifices. The pagan uh, religions had, had mimicked in that way the true religion that God had given to the Old Testament Jews. And so the, the pagans of Corinth would go to their temples and they would sacrifice these, these animals. And uh, the, the priests would keep a portion of the meat of the sacrifice. So let's imagine you took uh, a cow, for example, uh, uh, to, the, um, to the temple and that cow would be slain, and you would make sacrifice. The sacrifice was totally based on superstition. And the superstition was that um, uh, you were appeasing the gods of, uh, of the Greek world or the Roman world, and that you were buying their favor, and that you were keeping yourself free of evil spirits. And so the meat would be uh, somehow ceremonially, at least in their minds, uh, ceremonially that would be uh, cleansed uh, and dedicated to the gods, and therefore no evil spirit could attach itself to that meat. Now that meat, therefore, would be highly coveted meat because the superstitious Corinthians and many in the world at that time believed that if you ate something that you could possibly be corrupted by some evil spirit. So an evil spirit would attach itself to that animal, and unless it was dedicated in the temple to the gods of the pagan religion, unless it was uh, dedicated, we, they didn't have the U.S. Department of Agriculture to approve it, right? It, it wasn't USDA certified, but it could have been pagan temple certified, 
And the priests would often then eat some of the meat, keep it for themselves, and then what remained, they would sell in the market. And so the priest certified, pagan temple certified meat was expensive meat, and people coveted it. They wanted it because they believed in their minds it was free of evil spirits, and therefore nothing could corrupt them. Remember what Jesus taught, by the way. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. So we understand that even the Jews of that day had bought into a similar concept, thinking that they could be defiled by the things that they ate. And uh, this Corinthian world had embraced that same philosophy, or perhaps that philosophy uh, had, had bled over and spilled over into the thinking of the Jews. So they desired to buy the meat that was dedicated in the temple because it would be free of evil influence. Also, when you went to the temple, you too, as a, as a sacrificial uh, a giver, you would enjoy a portion of the meat for yourselves. And when you went to the temple to sacrifice, you would bring your neighbors and your friends with you to the temple. I imagine you would reserve a time, you would go and sacrifice, and then they would bring the meat out, and some of it would be cooked and prepared for you to eat with your friends in that very moment. And this was a big, significant part of social life in Corinth. And so this is all that you've known. Imagine that. We are, we're going with our neighbors to the temple, and uh, we're going to sacrifice, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to have a meal. But now you've become a Christian, and you understand that those gods are no gods at all, that the true and the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he died for you. He's the sacrifice. But you've been asked by a family member or a friend to come and attend one of these dinners. Or they said, I stopped by the market today, and I bought some of the priest-certified meat, and we're going to have a meal, and we want you to have supper with us. So the Christians were saying, well, how do we handle this questionable situation? How do we handle uh, this particular situation? Because there are those in Corinth who say, wait a minute, wait a minute now. You can't eat that meat. That meat is dedicated to idols. And if you eat that meat, you are worshiping those pagan gods. And then there were others who said, no, 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 no. We're not worshiping pagan gods. We're just having a steak or a hamburger. Those gods are no gods at all. And so there was some division. Now, remember, the Corinthian church is characterized by what? It's characterized by carnality and division, right? Pride and arrogance. They're a gifted church. They're a knowledgeable church, but they've got some problems. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with the problem. And here's the problem of this meat that was being eaten. And is it okay to eat it? Now, obviously for us, as, as uh, John Phillips says, he says, much of the discussion hinges on principles. We're going to obtain principles to help us. He said the meat issue while still relevant in Christendom and throughout much of the world today, is not the burning issue. In other words, this is not a problem that we're facing. 
I mean, we, we, we may have a question about the health of the McDonald's drive-in, but we're not in a spiritual conflict over whether or not we should go. But maybe the issue would be more evident for us if we filled in the blanks. Should I do this? Should I go here? Should I watch this? It's always a question for us in this culture, is it not? The latest episode of whatever show that is in the top 10 on the Netflix charts. The things that are in those programs that we've just sort of been lulled to sleep and have accepted as normal. And what is it doing to us and what is it doing to our souls? So many questionable things. I don't want to get into all those. I want us to see that God has a word for us concerning them and this liberty of ours. I want you to note three things. I want to give them to you, and I, I trust the Lord will use it. How do we define or how do we decide what liberty we have and what are the parameters of, of that liberty That's really what we're looking for here, and we're going to find three limits, three limits to our liberty, three limits to our liberty. Now, those, those Corinthian believers who were Gentile, uh, they, as, as John Phillips said, they, they fiercely defended their liberty. They did not want anybody telling them uh, specifics about what they could and could not do. And then those Judaizers, they, they, <laughs> they encroached on that liberty and said, wait a minute, we've got to follow this. And that's an age-old battle, is it not? And that has characterized much of our generation. And so how do we determine the limits of our liberty? And I think there are three limits that we find here. Number one, the limits of knowledge. The limits of knowledge. Now look at it if you would. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but unto us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So if we were to take... Uh, a pen, and we were to underline uh, the word know or knowledge, we would find that word is used numerous times in this chapter, especially in the opening verses. Uh, Paul is speaking to them about their knowledge, and we understand that when we consider the limits of our liberty, where is it that we draw the line? We understand that knowledge is important. It is important. But we're going to find out it is not the determining factor when dealing with these questionable matters. What we know. 
Now, uh, there are three forms of knowledge that are introduced to us here in these opening verses. First of all is the knowledge of logic, what we know naturally. We have some logical components to us, some of us more than others, right? Uh, you might refer to it in some way as common sense, but it's really more than that. Things that we know intuitively, things that are programmed in us, but we understand that that's imperfect knowledge. Because there are some things that we assume to be true that are not. There are some things that we think we know, but we really don't know. The knowledge of logic. He says, now it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. See, there's another form of knowledge that is introduced to us here, and that is the knowledge of learning. The knowledge of learning, what we have learned. And the Corinthian believers were learning. Doctrinally, they were straight, sound. They were a church to be emulated as far as their knowledge of the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul had spent some time there, a long time, teaching them. And they were a gifted church, so they had many teachers and uh, preachers of the gospel, and they were, they were growing in their knowledge. But notice what he says here concerning the knowledge of learning. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, what does the word edify mean? It means to be built up, to be built up. And he's comparing knowledge and love, charity. Charity is love in action. It's the love of God that he has toward us. And so he says, wait a minute. You think about your knowledge and you think that's the main thing. Let me explain something to you. Knowledge will blow you up. Charity will build you up. And this church had been blown up. Their ego, their arrogance was amazing. Uh, they thought that they were the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And by the way, that has characterized many Bible-believing Christians. I, I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. We've taken an attitude that we are the authority. We're the only people on earth who know anything in, in some areas, and, and especially those in, in the Baptist world and the independent Baptist world, and I'm glad to be an independent Baptist. But there are those who have become arrogant and haughty and imagine themselves to be the source of all wisdom and knowledge. You see, knowledge without charity availeth nothing. Now, in a, in a few chapters, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, if I don't have charity, I don't have anything. I'm, I'm like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I, I'm, I'm not making any, I'm not doing much in this world. I, I may give, but if I don't have love, it, it avails to nothing. So he's saying love is essential. Knowledge is good. We need knowledge. We need to learn. But knowledge without love, well, that's, that's a problem. And this is what characterized the Corinthian church. They had the knowledge of, of learning, but they didn't have the love to go with it. Notice what he says in verse 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as yet he ought to know. He said, okay, big boy, you think you know something? Let me explain something to you. You don't know what you think you know. A.T. Robertson said, Newton's remark that he was only gathering pebbles on the shore of the ocean of truth is pertinent. 
Now, we think of Newton as a great a scientific mind, a pioneer in the field of science. And, but how did Newton view himself? He said, I'm just gathering pebbles on the shore of the ocean of truth. You see, here's what we find out. The more that we know, the more aware we are of the fact that we know very little. Let me say that again. The more we know, the more aware we are that we really know very little. I might have a thimble full of knowledge, but there's a vast ocean of knowledge out here that I do not possess. And so Paul is admonishing them to be humble, not to be arrogant, and to be loving. Robertson goes on to say, the really learned man knows his ignorance of what lies beyond. The shallow knowledge is like the depth of the mud hole, not of the crystal spring. So we don't know exactly what we think we do. John Phillips said this, the clever man's danger lies not only in the fact that his knowledge inflates his ego, but it lies in the fact that his preoccupation with his cleverness causes him to overlook love. It's amazing to me as, as a pastor, as a preacher, as someone who uh, studies the Bible, the Word of God, and other pastors and other preachers who are friends or who maybe through some social media engagement uh, begin to communicate with one another. It's amazing how many believers and, and, and pastors there are who want to debate the finer points of Scripture, but in their debate, they totally leave the concept of love behind because the way they engage one another is anything less than loving. Knowledge puffs up. It builds the ego. Again, knowledge is good, but knowledge without love is a dangerous thing. He says, learning and logic will never pay, take the place of love in God's sight. And so true knowledge, true knowledge encapsulated and a loving heart and a loving spirit edifies it. It builds up the church. Have you ever heard anybody say this? I know I'm right. I know I'm right. We're right on this. Well, you can be right as far as your position, but altogether wrong in your disposition. And our disposition is important. So you have the knowledge of logic and the knowledge of learning, but then you have the knowledge of love. Look at verse 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. I, I think Paul is saying it this way. If you want to be impressive, if you really want to impress God, you're not going to impress him with what you know. I mean, because compared to him, what do you know? Absolutely nothing. If you want to impress God, if you want to be impressive, and, and that's not the right motive here, and it's really not the right way to describe it, but if you want to make a substantial impact in the lives of people, your knowledge is not going to get the job done, but your love will. Your love will. If any man love God, the same is known of him. And by the way, if you truly want to know God in God's word, you better love him. You better love him. And if you want to teach his word, you better love him. 
Uh, Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, you're going to, you fathers, you're going to teach your children the truths of, of the law of God, but make sure this, before you teach them, make sure that you understand that you have a responsibility to love him with all your heart. You see, if I don't love him with all my heart, then I'm not going to be effective teaching my children to love him. So the knowledge of love, if any man love God, the same is known of him. No one is acquainted with God who does not love him. 1 John 4, 8, love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. <coughs> Excuse me. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is what? You see, to know God is to love God. To love God is to know God. And when you love God, people will know and God will know that you love him. And he will reveal his truth to you. And people will welcome hearing that truth from you. The knowledge of love. That's the most important knowledge that we can accumulate. I know a lot of people who want to dazzle you with what they know about the Bible. But they don't seem to get the point. They're all enthralled by what I call the unsolved mysteries of the Bible. They want to find something that nobody else has ever been able to find, and they want to present that to you, and, and you'll be impressed with them. I think we're much better off to go with the plain things. The main things are the plain things, and plain things are the main things. Because that's really the heart of the issue. And if we love God, he knows it, and others will know it. And he will give us wisdom and knowledge. Well, what knowledge had he given them? Well, look at it, if you would, uh, in verse number 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. The, the, the group that would have said, hey, we want to go down to the temple and eat, that's what they would have said. There's no other God but the Lord Jesus, and he's the only one we're worshiping, and we're not going down there to worship those pagan idols, so therefore, we're going to go, okay? And their argument, to a degree, is correct, all right? Those idols are nothing, right? There are no gods. They're just superstition. Uh, there, there's nothing to it. If I eat a steak that was... Uh, priest certified. I, I'm not. I'm not worshiping that God. I'm just hungry and want something to eat, and that happens to be a good uh, steak, so I'm going to eat it, or a quarter pounder, whatever the case may be. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but unto us, unto us, unto us who what? Unto us who believe. Unto us who know. Unto us who have understanding. There is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. He said, if we love God, we're going to know God, and here's what we know. We know he's the only true and living God. You see, knowledge is good, but it is not the determining factor when we're dealing with questionable matters. There are limits on knowledge. And if we don't have love, 
our knowledge will not produce fruitful results. So here's the second limit. It's the limit of conscience. The limits of conscience. We all have knowledge and we all have a conscience. And when we think about our liberty and what we can do, we understand that knowledge is significant, it's important, but it's not the determining factor. We need knowledge. But the most important knowledge that we can possess is the knowledge of God, the love of God. And that love permeates everything that we do. Then a second limitation here that must be considered is the limit of our conscience. God has given each of us a conscience. Let's look at it, verse 7. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, there's a word of warning here, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. So now he's addressing not only those who are just eating the meat, but they're, they're actually there in the temple and they're participating in a social meal. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. That means he'll, he will fall into ruin. He will fall into ruin. Verse 12, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. We notice that word conscience is used over and over in these verses. The limits of conscience. Conscience must be considered. Now we have to recognize something. Not every man possesses the knowledge that we possess. As a believer, if you've been saved for 20 years and you've been a faithful student of the Word of God, then you're going to have knowledge that a new believer does not possess. In fact, you may be saved five years and been serious in your study of the Word of God, and you may know more about the truth of God's Word and more of the Lord than someone who's just been sort of marginal in their Christian life for 30 years. You see, we're not all at the same maturity level. We're not all at the same knowledge level, and we have to understand that. Not everybody has that knowledge. What is the knowledge he's speaking of? Well, it's the knowledge that he, that he speaks of in verse number 8. Meat commendeth us not to God, neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat are we the worse. They would have said, look, Paul, it makes no difference if we eat this steak. It's not going to help us. It's not going to hurt us. It's just a meal. And Paul said, well, you're right. That's true. It's not going to make you any closer to God. It's not going to drive you any further from God. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You're missing the point, he says. You're considering only yourself. Think about your brother. He doesn't know what you know. He's gone to the temple, verse number 7. And with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat is a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. You have people in this church who were just saved out of this mess. Now they're invited to go have a meal in the same temple where they used to worship. And their conscience says, oh, wait a minute, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm going to, I'm going to betray my Lord. 
I'm going to, I'm going to worship and in some way, these idols. And by the way, the knowledge that these believers possessed was imperfect. They didn't have a New Testament like you and I. Their theology wasn't fully formed and developed, right? And they had all these Judaizers running around saying, you got to do this, and you got to do that, you got to do this, and you got to do that. And then they're thinking, well, you know, wait a minute. I mean, I've grown up with this system all my life thinking, well, if we're going to have a good crop, we got to go and offer a sacrifice if we're going to have a good crop. So, I, you know, I'm a believer in Christ, but maybe I need to go offer a sacrifice so I can have a good crop or so that my business will do well or so that my kids will be healthy. You see, this was in their mind. They had not arrived at this knowledge. Paul is saying, wait a minute. For them to participate in this is a violation of their conscience, and the conscience is a gift from God. God uses the conscience in our lives to keep us from sin. And he's saying, all of you hot shots who say, we've got liberty, yes, we do. we got liberty, how about you? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to the temple, I'm going to have a steak dinner. And then one of their brethren who didn't have that knowledge was there. That might embolden him to sin or it might grieve him. Notice what he says. Verse 10, For if any man see thee, which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge, through thy liberty, as you exercise your liberty, this liberty of yours, through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. You say, well, it doesn't affect anybody what I do. Yes, it does. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's far better than me trying to define for you what those things are, to let the Word of God and the Spirit of God define them, to cause us to bring those questions to Him. It's a sobering thought. That I, I can't just do anything I want to do. It's my life. I can do what I want to. How many times have you heard people say that? Nobody's going to put me under a cloak of bondage and a, uh, a yoke of bondage, and, 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 and hey, nobody wants to, right? They shouldn't. I got liberty. Well, understand something. You better be a good steward of it because you could cause somebody else to stumble. They might see you do something and think, well, if it's okay for him to do it, it's certainly okay for me to do it. And they're in a much stronger degree of bondage to that than you would have ever been. And it may potentially cause them to stumble. There's a strong warning here. Look in verse 12. But when ye sin so against brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Well, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. We've all had that conversation in our mind. That's not a sin. Well, it is a sin if you cause your brother to stumble. The particular act of eating the meat, he said it, it's not a problem unless that liberty of yours causes someone to stumble. Now, unknowingly, maybe that could happen. But when it's intentional, when you know it, 
and you choose to do it anyway, then you have to deal with the consequences of that. It is a sin against Christ. The limits of conscience. Well, how much liberty do I have? Well, what do you know? And what does your conscience allow you to do? Here's the third one. The limits of love. And this is really the most significant of all three of these limitations. Wherefore, verse 13, if meat make my, what's the word? My who? My brother. That's a family word, isn't it? That's an affectionate term. This is my brother. He's not just an acquaintance. He's not just even a friend. He's my brother. If meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. What has Paul allowed to limit his liberty? Love. Love. He said, you know something? I love that guy. He just got saved not too long ago. He used to go down to the temple and worship those pagan gods. And if he saw me down there, he, he, he would really I'd throw him. It'd really throw him. If he heard I went to the market and bought some of that temple certified Angus beef, and I tried to serve that to him, it would upset him. It, it would really throw him. Now, I, I've, I, I'm in a level of maturity that he's not at, but I don't want to offend him, and therefore, I'm not going to eat that meat around him. I may lovingly take him aside and talk to him about it. I, I may try to give him some time to grow and some opportunities, but I'm not going to sit there and eat that Angus beef in front of him and say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter who this is. No, I, I, I'm not going to do that because I love him. And I love him because I love Jesus. So when you ask the question, should I do this? Let these limits guide you. The limit of knowledge. What do you know? What does God say in his word? And most importantly, do you have the knowledge, not just of learning, but the knowledge of love? A love for God that allows you to know him and intimately walk with him. You know, sometimes, a lot of times when people ask that question, can I do this? Do you know they've already answered that question in their mind? They're not looking for an answer. They're looking for a rubber stamp, a seal of approval. You know it and I know it, right? If we're honest with ourselves, that's what we do. The limit of our knowledge, the limit of our conscience. If our conscience is saying to us, don't do that, then we need to heed the conscience. Don't sin against your conscience. And don't cause someone else to sin against theirs. Now, there's a, a multiple number of people, a multitude of, of, of people um, and, and, and multiple mindsets in, in this church and, and opinions on a, a various number of things. Well, we need to learn to respect one another, don't we? You know, there are people in this church who have high standards about certain things, and there are people in this church who, who haven't developed those standards in, in those certain areas. But maybe in another area, they've got a high standard. I mean, they couldn't imagine why you would do this, but they don't have a problem with doing that. 
That's our church. You realize that? And what we have to understand is we don't need to demean or belittle anyone who has a different conviction or standard than we do. And while we're strong in one area, we may be weak in another. You know, we, 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 we're really good at seeing the, the moat or, the, or the, 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 you know, the small speck in, in our brother's eye, and we miss the beam in our own, right? So we need to give grace, and we need to give understanding, and we need to be people who are full of love because not everybody's going to do the thing that you're going to do, and you're not going to do the thing that they do. And we need to respect one another, and we need to love one another. And we should never purposely, intentionally try to violate somebody's conscience or their standards or their convictions. And so may God help us on these questionable matters. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.